This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, we welcome Michelle Muldoon and Julie Lynn Mortensen to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Michelle is the writer and director of Last Stand to Nowhere, the award-winning short film, which screens this month at the 2020 Vancouver Short Film Festival, takes the story of the gunfight at the OK Corral and retells it with women. The essence of the story remains familiar and accessible, even if it's Wylona Earp instead of Wyatt and Ida Clanton instead of Ike. But the experience of seeing women not only inhabit these roles, but bring new and different energy to them was a profound game changer for everyone who saw the film. And as Michelle will tell us, Last Stand to Nowhere represented something of a threat to some people who want the genre to remain as it always has been, with women women relegated to the roles of long-suffering wife or hooker in the saloon. But that pushback hasn't stopped Michelle from dreaming of making women-driven westerns beyond Last Stand to Nowhere, which she's described as a proof of concept nor has it stopped festivals all over the world from programming it and bestowing it with awards and accolades. Last fall, Michelle was the lone Canadian filmmaker invited to attend the venerable Almeria, 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 oh, she's nodding, I got it, Almeria Western Film Festival in Spain. The festival takes place in Tabernas? Tabernas. Tabernas even, okay. It's a replica Wild West town that was built for Sergio Leone's for a few dollars more. As for the cast, it's an embarrassment of riches, full stop. It features some of the most dynamic talents we have in the city, including Chayla Horstall, Johanna Newmarch, Luvia Peterson, Jen McLean Angus, Maya Aro, Sadie Silcock, and Julie Lynn Mortensen. Uh, Ju- oh, ah! Uh, and Catherine Lonsdale. And Catherine Lonsdale. I mean, we could go on because yeah. there's also, there is Frances Flanagan and there's all sorts of like really incredible people involved. But yeah. today we have Julie Lynn Mortensen who plays Billy Clanton, which is based on Billy Clanton. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Westerns and specifically how Westerns have treated women and what a film like Last Stand to Nowhere represents for the industry and the culture. I want to talk about the process of making a Western in a city that typically makes Christmas movies and sci-fi. I'm assuming you had to learn a bit of gunslinging. Uh, and I want to talk about the pushback and the future. I did an arm gesture for the future. Michelle, Julie Lynn. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> this is fantastic. I'm really happy to be here. I, I'm so happy to have you. Okay. And we've been talking about this for a while. We've been waiting 
for a Vancouver screening. Correct. You know, because it's been screening all over the place. You've had quite a journey with the film, but, you know, hasn't screened in Vancouver yet. So shout out to the Vancouver Short Film Festival for uh, for finally screening this film. So I want to talk about Westerns and your both of your relationship with Westerns. Start with you, Michelle. Why and how and when and what and... I don't know what the other ones are. Who, what, where, when, why? Westerns. So we should probably start with the fact that I grew up watching Westerns with my father. Yeah. And I like action films and I like genre and I like sci-fi and I like all that kind of stuff. And about uh, five years ago, I was on one of the local sets helping on another short film. You know, it was a Friday afternoon. I was digging a cemetery. What you do in Vancouver on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) And we took a break and I was walking down the main street of this town and I thought, wouldn't it be great if, you know, women could own Main Street? And I sort of threw the idea down, like, wouldn't it be fun if there was, like, a real showdown, but it was women for a change? Yeah. And everybody's like, yeah, that was a really great idea. And so every time I would mention the story that, oh, I was on this set, and, you know, I was thinking, everybody else was, oh, you should do that. Oh, you should do that. So I was I was having a bit of a block on another script, so I turned to writing this I guess about a year later. Yeah. And I did the first draft and I sent it out to a writer friend of mine and she gave me some notes and then I did another draft and then I started talking to actors and every time I was like, do you want to do Western no corsets? And everybody was like, yes. So every actor was like, yes. Sorry, do you want to do a Western no corsets? I love that. Like, like that's so descriptive, right? So, Because we should explain for for our our listeners, like this is, this these are... The, the women in this film are, they are, faces are dirty and they're wearing like leather and kerchiefs and hats and boots. And it's not like how, it's it's not how you, how might, maybe, well, how do I say this? How um, a man might imagine a women driven Western would be where it's all about being like sexy and skin. Like this is like, these are cow women <laughs> doing the work, right? Yeah. The, the idea is like in our in our world, in the Last Stand universe, yeah. it doesn't matter so much what gender you are in relationship to how you survive. All that matters is that you survive. Yeah. So if a woman is great with a gun, then a woman is great with a gun. Yeah. You know? And, and those women are great. And they're great guns. with yeah. yeah. And and <laughs> so what would it be like if we had a more egalitarian world where where we didn't genderize even dialogue? I mean, I don't I think this taught me also how much we genderize dialogue in a film. Yeah. Because if you take out, I'd say, about three words in this where they refer to each other as sister or um, woman or any, you take those genderized words out, I don't have to change the dialogue at all and refilm it with men. Yeah. So so the question I just wanted to throw out there, I mean, I know what my answer is, but if you, if you don't genderize it, if you um, just create a world where the universal theme of survival is present... If you cast women in it, if you give them aggressive dialogue, yeah, because women we, can be violent, yeah. right? Do we see a difference? Does you know? And if there's a difference and we're uncomfortable with it, why aren't we uncomfortable with the same line with a man? Because we should be, yeah, right. And and just to see what that is and have that dialogue, and and that's the dialogue we've been having pretty much at every festival. Yeah. Okay. So Julie Lynn, uh, why did you want to be involved with with this film? And like, so I mean, this goes back to like, you know, what was your relationship with westerns before Last Dance Nowhere? Very similarly to Michelle, I totally grew up watching Clint Eastwood movies with did my you really? dad. <laughs> yeah, but I never I didn't watch westerns with my dad. I we watched other stuff. 
you know, but we watch Elvis movies and Aww. we watch, I watch sci-fi with my mom, but I love I love that this was a thing that daughters did with fathers in other households. <laughs> I've actually heard the same line at almost every festival we've screened at from yeah. a woman. So I love that. Fantastic. Yeah. So you watched Clint Eastwood with your dad. I sure did. And I never as an actor pictured myself playing a cowgirl or a cowwoman in yeah. a western. Um you know, I, I've been so, it's been so great to watch how the industry has been changing and evolving over the years. But I remember getting this audition and it totally threw me. I was like, just vibrating with excitement for the opportunity to explore a character that was so different from anything else that I'd been. So it threw and, you in a good way. In a great way. Yeah. And let's be clear, it really wasn't an audition. I sent her two sides because I didn't know which role I wanted her in, but I knew I wanted her. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I actually ask, ask you, Michelle, why you, you knew you wanted to make a Western. Why did you choose to take the OK Corral story instead of being like, I'm going to I'm going to like just tell like make up my own new story, you know, that has a, a high like it has some kind of shootout in it. You know, like what? Why was it important to take those characters and then, you know, reimagine them in, in this way? Oh, well, there's a couple of things about this story. One, this is the most retold story in the history of cinema. Yeah. Right. Um Wyatt Earp told his story to a screenwriter named Stuart Lake and I think it was 1929 and the first time a reference to this came up was in um, My Darling Clementine which I think was either 34 or 36 so and it has been told repeatedly and as you know as well it's even made it into science fiction stories because Mm -hmm. Star Trek did an episode about them (laughs) so there is if there is one story that you could take anywhere in the world as a western and somebody will have heard of the story it's this one did you intend to be I'm not saying your film is subversive, but did you intend to be subversive by that act of taking that particular story that a lot of people, including a lot of dudes, have associations with? The interesting about that thing about that association is that for American men, it's their real history. Yeah. Um, even though we only know one side of the story well, and that story has been morphed like a game of broken telephone. Mm. So... Um, I often actually don't really know why I start doing something until I'm partway through and I realize uh, I just really wanted to tell the story that we normally would gravitate to. So Mm. if you, you know, when you watch a film like an action film or a sci-fi film or you're watching, you know, Kirk or 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 Luke or, you know, any of these characters, a woman has to project herself into the hero's role Mm -hmm. to see herself and and we don't, when we get to see a hero that is female, they're very often different. Yeah. So I wanted to make that hero that we projected ourselves into, right? Mm. We we see Wyatt own Main Street. We, you know, we see the Earps as a family clean up the town. What does it mean to be a part of that family? Not not the wife who, who you know, um, saved uh, the husband or that, you know, has revenge because a husband's died like Jane's got a gun. I mean, yeah. what does it mean to be unabashedly the hero without any excuse? Mm. And that was the goal. And I, I guess it is subversive. Yeah. I don't really think of it that way because it's just the way I think. Like, yeah. this stuff lives in my head all the time. And if that's subversive, then that's even better. Yeah. Um, so, Julie Lynn, I, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, Billy then um, what what you learned in the process of preparing for this role you know about the original the OG Billy because I'm assuming I'm just assuming that if because like these these are char- like the characters of Last Stand to Know are our characters in their own right but I'm assuming if it's based on you know a little bit of a historical 
figure or a figure from mythology, and it is from like American, you know, m- mythology, like th- that you're gonna think about that that OG character, right? Like the original of, of that. So like what kind of research did you do and how did you integrate that into like where you put it in your body in the role? You know, history is always written by the winners. And so mm. it was really fascinating exploring. I'm actually so glad that you cla- you cast me as a Clanton mm. because the Clantons did not win. Mm. And therefore, there's Spoiler less- alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, it's like the most, the most well-told story. But yeah, spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, Clantons so don't the, fare so well. The, the Earps are glorified in history and there's far more written about them because they won the battle. Yeah. And so finding, you know, more about Billy and about the Clantons and the McClory's, it was there wasn't as much detail on them. But I, I think what drew me more than anything and excited me about playing this character was the fact was the opportunity to be messy. And I feel as, you know, part of our socialization as women is there's a lot about looking perfect, being perfect, being nice, even when we're strong, powerful heroines, really having it together. <laughs> so I'm laughing because I am I'm I'm dealing with some of that in my own life right now and revisiting my idea of what it means to be like perfect or put together and it's like it's honestly it's just like giving myself permission to be like flawed and to you know fuck up in certain areas right oh you can swear I don't know if I said that you can swear on this yeah oh that's so interesting yeah so it it is an enormous amount of pressure and I feel like you know in our storytelling we tend to reinforce a lot of those stereotypes I usually sit out sit in a hair and makeup chair and get like wedding hair and makeup done before I go on set I look fantastic you know and there's a there's even playing strong female characters or heroines there's a there's a togetherness that is usually present in a female character mm-hmm. that was not present at all in Billy Clanton. Yeah. And I loved it. Like getting to be fucked up, getting to be messed up. And I love how you've embraced be... the swearing aspect <laughs> of the show. <laughs> getting to be on this other side of history yeah. where, you know, there is, you know, there's a there's a question of the ownership of a horse that is kind of our inciting incident. And, you know, I don't think that I my personal interpretation of that is that it was a very gray area. I don't think the Earps were gods and I don't think the Clantons were evil. I think they were controversial. (laughs) (laughs) They were all doing their best in their time and they were fighting over what they were fighting over. And, you know, the Earps were better with their guns and they won. And so... I see why you cast (laughs) casters, Billy. Um, You know, okay, so... I know that you that you crowdfunded and that I mean it was an incredible emotional successful joyful oh my god like process for you because we've talked about that before and I but I know that crowdfunding uh, that was when some of the pushback uh, first reared its head uh, and um, like what like can you tell my listeners a little bit about that and also like what impact it had on you as you were moving forward into the process of production knowing that there were these voices that were out there so part of putting the crowdfunding together was also putting up the social media pages and promoting the social media pages so there's a number of uh, western film pages on facebook so you know i went on to share the facebook page i wasn't asking for money i was just saying here you know come check out our facebook page we had some incredible concept photos that wendy d had taken for us Wendy D, who also did the artwork for this podcast she's brilliant (laughs) yeah and uh, all hail wendy d (laughs) absolutely so uh i had posted on one of the pages and this gentleman uh gone on and asked me why i would ever want to 
tell that story. And so we ended up on going back and forth for, I must have been a good half an hour to 45 minutes. And at one point he said, well, that's not the story you should be telling. And he told me the story about the, the, the farmer's daughter who fell for the wrong guy and how he had to save her. Uh. And so finally, after 45 minutes, I said, that's not the story I want to tell. Yeah. And he said, and this was the last comment of the conversation, quote, you're going to fail. <laughs> so that was my first experience on pushback. Wow. And it kind of shook me a little because I had experienced up until then nothing but enthusiasm. Yeah. And that's when I started to realize that we were what you're up against yeah Yeah. uh, because again you know i live with this stuff in my head all the time i think this is perfectly normal why wouldn't you make this story yeah and uh and then of course you know it sort of continued a little bit i think um we had a really good cast and crew family and friends screening we had a good 80 people out and there were a couple of guys in the room i think kind of looked a little white by the end of it like there was some (laughs) nervous laughter in certain parts and they realized that we were serious and and i think there was um left a few people a little surprised and then we experienced a little pushback at one or two of the festivals from older gentlemen Um, again because these are their heroes that are now you know being appropriated by me yeah and uh, (laughs) and my uh, usual response now my standard response now is when you start telling all of our history we'll stop appropriating yours so Wow. I, I imagine you were saying it. You got your guns on, you got your hat, your boots, and you walk into the sunset. Well, because, you know, I mean, we're, we're only we're still finding things out about female heroes that yeah. we didn't know before. And all those dudes, they have hundreds and hundreds of movies to watch where they get to see that story told in that way. You know, yeah. like they like, gosh, you know, we have to create entertainment for everybody. Right. Yeah. So um, I keep wanting to call you Billy. Call me Billy. So Billy, <laughs> Julie Lynn, tell me about the first time that you put on like the stuff, like all of the the accoutrement of the. Of, I mean, I'm talking about your like. Did you have chaps? Like I don't even know. Like did you, the guns and the hat and the boots and because you know, like you guys did not skimp on wardrobe at all. I mean, it was <laughs> Flo Barrett is a costume god. That's all I'm gonna say. Flo Barrett is a costume god. Yes. Yes. It felt amazing to be walking around on set in the dust, in the dirt, in... Not with wedding hair. (laughs) No. (laughs) And actually, I think I'd had an audition one of the days before we shot. So hair and makeup was actually a process of taking it all off, like getting the perfect foundation off, getting the eyeliner off, um, dirtying up our faces, our teeth, our hair, getting on... Yeah, you guys looked so dirty. (laughs) It looked so authentic. Because if, like, honestly, unless you are, like, you know, the the singer in the saloon, like, it's not... It wouldn't be appropriate. It would be a bit jarring. You know, you'd have to suspend disbelief absolutely yeah so but did it like did you feel like i knew you said you felt great but like did you feel like clanton like did you <laughs> i think and i think especially yes like the costumes were so liberating and especially the gun like i've never i've never worked with guns before yeah. on set and we were trained in fast draw by this amazing organization called the thunderbird fast, fast draw, draw. You had like their champions that are like in that club, right? And just the energy, I mean, you know, of holding holding a gun and then learning how to spin it, learning how to like have that feel comfortable in my hand and the So these are not loaded weapons. No, no, no. Because I would be like spinning and then I don't know. It just it would be like a cartoon. It would not be cool. So all of our gunplay 
the the actual firing yeah. it's all created by Chris Orchard at Orchard Film Studios so it's all visual <sighs> effect Chris Orchard's name has been coming up or no Orchard is it Chris Orchard yeah name has been coming up a lot in this room recently Chris you gotta come do the show you know because I, I you're creating a lot of cool stuff you know, I because he also worked on um on Heather Perluzzo's Hatch film as well, creating stuff for that. So, man, all the teams yeah. on all these very different kind of films, women driven films as well. Like it's very, very cool. So that experience and like so it's a metal, it's metal, right? The gun, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, like, did you drop it a lot when you were learning? So much. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky that I got a loner so I could take it home because I wanted to do I knew that Billy was good with with like gun twirling so yeah. I wanted to honor that and there was a great moment in the script to do so and so I took it home and I just spent hours and then eventually realized I had to build like a pillow fort because I almost sent it flying right into my TV screen at one point <laughs> into the coffee table yeah. so eventually I secured a pillow fort around me where for you That's know I good. had a couple of months where I could just you know and also building up the calluses on your hands so that it doesn't hurt you wow. I bet though that so must have fun. been did you did you shoot any of that like um, the practice session where you had everybody out because I would love to see that like behind the scenes of like you know you Johanna and whoever else was there like learning to we we spin don't have video from it we have what happened is like we were we're allowed an audition day in the the contract right with the union mm. so we chose to do what we called Sunday Fun Day Gun Day and <laughs> and it was an afternoon of training with the Thunderbird Fast Draw Club who yeah. are out in Langley. Um, people don't realize that they two of the fastest draws in the world are in this club. Yeah. Um, actually, several of them are. But uh, Nicole is still, I think, the women's world fast draw champion. And I believe Sean Murphy is now the men's. Um, they draw between 2.8 and 3.2 seconds. Um, and draw means that they... They, they pull and hit a balloon in that time. It's about eight feet away, I think it is. Now, you blink in 2.6 seconds. So Whew. that kind of tells you how fast they yeah. work. When you go down to train with them or you go down to a practice session at the Langley Rod and Gun Club, they're, they're wax bullets. They're not real bullets. Um, and they fire at a large black target that has a light in the middle. So when the light goes off, you have to draw and fire. And the wax bullet hits the big black metal piece and it stops the clock. Yeah. So um, not only did they teach us about safe use and handling mm-hmm. and how to properly respect the weapon, but also how to draw. And they let everybody on the line to try it. And that is <laughs> an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about uh, the experience of filming. You know, you do all that prep work, you do the crowdfunding, you do the co- the pushback, you know, and then you get to set. You know, I, you filmed over two days, right? Three days. Okay, so um, tell me about some of the, um, the memorable moments, challenges, and revelations that you both experienced on those, on those days. What stands out for me is working with this epic cast of of women, so many of whom I admired their work pr- previously, hoped that I would get the chance to work with one day. Um, 
and and to come together in these two families on set and the dynamics that the unexpected dynamics and energy that started to flow Can between I just everyone. Ask about the two families. Was yeah. there like animosity, like just like between the two families? Like I mean, like as you're like if you guys get a little method. I know everybody loves each other and all lovely, but like when you're on set, and you're like. Oh, look at those guys over there. Oh, They're we the other family. Totally oh, you were? Yeah. <laughs> it was all in good fun, but they, definitely that started to happen. Nice. You know, kind of like trash talking each other. <laughs> yes. Takes and, Who's the worst and trash get... talker? Is it Livia? I assume it's Livia. <laughs> I don't It's Johanna, isn't it? <laughs> what was interesting is at lunch, they ate together as families, too. Oh. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> just happened. I I love hearing that. You know, and so, but what about for you, Michelle? Like, you had that experience digging cemetery on the set, thinking about what would happen if women owned the street. And then you're there, and women are owning the street. Like, what, what was that experience like for you? Was What did it feel like? Did you, were you like, was it validating? Like, tell me about what was going through your head over those three days. So, we, we actually had the set for four. On the first day was move-in day, which meant all the gear power, water, tents, like everything had to be moved in. And uh, and then we started the next morning. So for basically four or five nights, the producers, all of us, were working on four hours sleep a night because yeah. it was out in Pitt Meadows. Um, the first day I was more just anxious to get the day in yeah. and wanted to be sure that, you know, I didn't drop the ball when we started. It was the third morning. So we did a day and a half was the gunfight, which... You know, ideally we should have done in two and a half days, but you know, this is where the money went. Yeah. Um, and I got in early that third morning of filming and I had my coffee and I just stood in the middle of town. And I remember thinking to myself, what the heck did I ask people to do? Like, I didn't realize at the time how, you know, how emotional, how all-encompassing, how big the project had to be. I mean, we were a 50 to 55 person cast and crew on any given day yeah. with nothing there but the town. I mean, we moved in our furniture. We moved we moved everything in. And and people did it for basically gas money. You know, let's let's be honest. It yeah. was it was out of the kindness and goodness of a lot of people that this got made. Can and I just say, probably, I mean, and Julie Lane can say, it's not just kindness and goodness. It's also there's an excitement about yeah. wanting to be part of a project like that and recognize how important it is. Yeah, you it, know? It, it was, yeah, it was very moving for me <laughs> on that last morning. I just, uh, and even, you know, the other producers, I, I was talking with Victoria and Francis after, and they're like, yeah, we saw you. We just thought we'd leave you alone for a bit. You know, just to take in. And at the same time, I was also, you know, running through. She's running there. She's hiding there. She's dying there. She's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a combination of, okay, it's a big task. uh, And I feel really emotional about it. But that's got to go because we got 13 hours to get everything in. Yeah. So. Wow. Huge creative payoff for everyone involved. Yeah. Amazing. Um, What about challenges? What kind of challenges did you did you each, each encounter filming this film, and how did you overcome them? I had a night shoot on a commercial after one of the shooting days. It was just one of those, you know, kind of when it rains it pours as an actor. Weekends. And you got to do it all. You got to do it all. My challenge <laughs> was getting the dirt out from underneath my fingernails before I had to <laughs> shoot this commercial, where I was like very much in that housewife grocery shopping kind of mode. Yeah. It took like three hours. <laughs> to get my fingernails How clean. dirty were you? I gotta you go back and filthy. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that that's my only challenge. That's, su- that's super. And I loved it. 
The day we moved in, across the street from the saloon, or what we used as a saloon, um, the Sabrina set was moving into deck, to set deck one of the rooms across the street from us so they could come in right after us. Yeah. And uh, and I walked down the hill into town, past the church, and I'm like, yeah, moving day, moving day. And I get to the bottom, and the loca- the woman who looks after the location said, Michelle, turn around. And at this point, there's like three other people there, including our production manager and our, you know, craft service and catering manager and just everybody that's setting things up. And I'm like, why? I'm like, turn around. And I stop, and I think, and I turn around, and they had painted the church. <gasps> And and the the you know the the location manager says not in your shot is it I'm like oh yeah, and in the meantime I'm thinking we're gonna do a zombie western we're gonna do a supernatural we can change things up. <laughs> the can last I talk minute to like and, and 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 finally as I'm going multiple layers of sheet white, um, the location manager Renee says it's okay we got it uh, my husband's in a greens company we'll find a way to cover it for you. So the reason the church is white is because Chris Orchard made it white again. Wow. <laughs> All hail Chris Orchard. <laughs> yeah. but, but it was like Satan's hell home all over the church. Oh, I bet it was. I mean, that is a gorgeous show. Um, I love the idea of you of you both uh, sharing space. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, about the response to the film as it has traveled the film festival circuit. I know, Michelle, you've traveled with the film uh, a lot, including to Almeria, 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 uh, Tabernas, Tabernas, Tabernas. Tabernas. Uh, That was probably the best film experience I've ever had. Yeah. Um, So this, I mean, to, to people who are in, who are interested in the Western genre, they know that festival. They know that location. They know, like, that's a big deal. Western filmmakers know the festival. I had a friend out of Seattle who made a Western film, like, three years ago, and the minute I said we got in, she, like, minute, right away said, you know, you have to go. I've been dying. I always wanted to go to that festival, and I never got in. You have to go for both of us. You're the only Canadian. Yeah, the only woman, the only sole woman director. There was one other uh, female director who directed a short with uh, a male partner. There were only 13 short films and eight features. You're part of a massive Western festival as a whole. Two or or three of the nights they have, uh, the plaza has Western acts singing. (laughs) They... They have the opening ceremonies in the one of the two western towns, which is now called Oasis. It's a really big one. It was built for a fistful of dollars. Fantastic. The second night you're spending in Fort Bravo, which was actually built for the good, the bad, and the ugly and not used for it. Um, it ended up getting used for a few other movies, including most recently the Sisters Brothers. Imagine having that money, though, to like build a town and then not use it. <laughs> <laughs> I so want to use that yeah. town. <laughs> hey, we're, we're thinking ahead. So, but like, what did the, your experience there... Uh, and all the all the people you were talking to and the films that you were seeing, like, what did it tell you about where uh, Last Stand to Nowhere fits? You know, within the ecology of of the Western realm. I'm doing a lot of hand talking. I hope you were able to get a question out of all of those yeah. words and hands. <laughs> a lot, a lot of people wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, the first day I got in, I ended up going out for lunch with about 20 other people and I ended up sitting next to the festival director and he said, you know, my English isn't good, but your film? And I said, yes. He said, the women? I said, yes. And I'm, I'm thinking now to all those other experiences. He goes, we need more women. 
you know and the next day he's introducing me to his wife and goes she made the the women's film like the people wanted film, to yeah. talk about it and on three separate occasions from three separate women from three separate countries i heard the same line your film it's so brave yeah and that that was I, you know, I can't even describe how moving that was. And then I spent an entire night talking about it with these filmmakers, these guys from France, and had another conversation with a guy from Argentina. And like, people were really interested in how we were going to introduce women into it. And and most people walked away going, you know, it it doesn't. It feels like a western. Like we thought it would be a gimmick, but it's not a gimmick. It feels like a western. And you're like, it is a western. It is a western. It is a western. So it's like you're. It just seems like there's like a lot of retraining of how people think that needs to happen, right? It's like, and it's not just re- it's like retraining the audience, retraining the filmmakers and the film festivals and the and even the talent to like open themselves to that opportunity, right? Like is it it's, it's a lot of but it seems like a lot of work and yet at the same time I guess all you have to do is put it in front of people for them to be like, yeah. But we knew when we were filming. I mean, uh, partway through the first day, and I think you and I have talked about this, I remember turning to people in the village and saying, why does this feel, this feels so normal to me? What, you know, am I the only one this feels normal to? And everybody in Video Village was, nope, this just feels right. And and there were men and women in the village that all agreed with this. It wasn't, you know, just the women who felt that way. Yeah. And And I think that's a testament to the cast, first of all, who played it straight up and didn't, you know, never treated the script like it was a gimmick. Yeah. And uh, and committed. I mean, you guys just gave everything you had. I'm so grateful for the talents that came involved, all of them. Yeah. So how do you think this experience, I mean, this, and this is for both of you, the experience of working on Last Stand to Nowhere will change you as artists moving forward? Julie Len, let's start with you. You know, I watching myself as Billy is it's probably my most watchable like I enjoy watching myself in Last Stand to Nowhere and and there's something about playing a character that's not putting anything on that's not trying to be sweet that's not uh, trying to seek anybody else's approval in a certain way of being that is so refreshing to to watch and it was refreshing to embody and I would love to be able to just kind of remember that and bring that into more characters because, yeah. you know, I think a lot of our stereotypes about how women should be or men should be, they're in our, they're in our own heads. And we can play with them even if someone hasn't written us this amazing script to play in, that there's a lot of opportunity that you could bring it to other scripts. Yeah. And so I think just, yeah, finding that really grounded, unapologetic, messy aggressive, vulnerable, all of those things. Like letting dirty. Dirty. <laughs> Fingernails. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like not saying I a, a woman is this, but like a woman is all of these things. Just the same way that men can be all of these things. Mm-hmm. And really bringing that into future opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. About you, Michelle. Because I, I know. I know that this was a huge this was a game this was like a represented a paradigm shift for you, right? Huge. Yeah. Um you know, I, and, and Spain, I think, solidified what I learned at all the other festivals. When I came back, I realized that, um, that first of all, I belong as a filmmaker, mm. right? That um, I, I don't feel like I have to feel awkward about being that anymore. Yeah. Um, because when you're accepted in what is basically the ancestral lands of your genre, 
there's there's nothing else that can be said about that. Not just accepted, but like welcomed and encouraged, right? Like yeah. I love like they want they want more from you. They, they want do. <laughs> they do actually. Our lo- the woman who was in charge of liaising with the filmmakers, you know, who does location management, said, "You come back, you film here. I'll be your locations manager." Like, <laughs> like they they really wanted to see more. And <laughs> Julie Lynn was and, like, "Yeah, we're know? going to Spain." <laughs> the uh, so that was a paradigm shift for yeah. me. Uh, you know, I tend to write jaded, damaged women who tend to uh, rise above their own messiness to succeed in life and i'm and sorry that's, kind that's of my like thing. my character bio if i was a character yeah, yeah. <laughs> messy damage trying to rise above yeah and sabrina Furminger. and that's <laughs> what i want to do now and it's also reinforced for me that you know entertainment comes first mm. the message comes second because entertainment gets more than the choir watching mm. you get all the other people watching and then you can hit them with the message we we have a pretty strong message with this film but we're pretty damn entertaining. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we when we screened at the Austin Revolution Film Festival. Um, Austin being in Texas. In Texas. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we are going back to Texas, actually, in April. And we're going to New Mexico in March. You're, so you not only have you screened in the ancestral lands of your genre, but you're screening in places where they love this genre. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and, you know, you know, I, I had men coming up to saying, I want to talk about your dialogue. We really want to talk about your dialogue. And another woman saying, do you realize what you made? And the, just all these do comments. Do you know got, what you did, you know, Michelle? Because, because we are not we are not the woman who runs the brothel yeah. and the town, you know, and. And it was really even more gratifying to do that because Felice House was at that screening. Okay, I was going to, we were going to talk about this, so I'm glad you're bringing it up. So tell me about, for first of all, for people who don't know who Felice House is and what she did for you. Felice House is quite simply the artist of female reimaginings of Western iconic images. Yeah, capital uh, T, capital A, the, all those other letters. Yeah, the uh, artist. <laughs> in 2017, there was an article about uh, her exhibit, Re-Western, that went viral. Mm. And to this day, I'm still getting people sending me the copy of it. Did you know about this? Did you? I'm like, yes, I knew about this. So I found Felice on Twitter, and I thought, what the heck? Everybody says things happen on Twitter. So I tweeted, you know, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you consider doing the poster? And... Uh, and she said, you know, make the film and get back to me. So I did. Challenge accepted. You know, and yeah. she said, you know, I was I was a little unsure, but I thought, what the heck? And so she said, yes. And uh, and I didn't realize she was going to this was going to be her process. But her process was to start by making our poster based on our still photographs in a 60 by 40 oil on canvas. 60 by 40. Yes. You know, the the poster is based on the 1957 gunfight at the OK Corral poster. It's in that classic 50s color and that classic art design. It's mm. uh, it's hand drawn uh, and painted. Yeah, it I have is, a print of it hanging on the wall of my office. Like I stunning. freaking love it. And uh, and then because uh, we don't the spring, they don't make posters like no. that anymore. The lettering is also hand lettered. An associate of hers hand lettered it. Wow. Um, and so in the spring, she says, you know, I'm exhibiting, doing an exhibit in the Museum of the Southwest, which is in Midland, Texas, between the triangle of like Austin, El Paso and Dallas, I think it is. And uh, she said, um, I'm going to I'm going to put the painting in it. Uh, 
have you thought about maybe we could exhibit the film on rotation with the painting? And I was like, sure. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so, uh, so we said yes, and she arranged it with the museum. So for two months this past summer, uh, Last Stand to Nowhere exhibited with the artwork in Face West. And the <gasps> painting of the poster was the feature uh, advertising print on both the website and on the postcards for the museum. Oh, amazing. Interestingly enough, it made us ineligible for Tribeca, and I didn't care. <laughs> That is such a satisfying story. I'm so excited. Okay, so what is, I know it's hard to say, because there's so much stuff in the air and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What is the, what would you, what is the future of Last Stand to Nowhere? And, or what would you like the future to be for Last Stand to Nowhere? Was that its last stand? No. Uh, yes. Victoria Angel, <laughs> producer Victoria Angel came up with the phrase, the Last Stand Universe, meaning that there probably should be more. Um, I'm going back Thank and doing you, another Victoria. draft on my pilot. Uh, because I sought out some really great advice from Pilar Alessandra, who is also another podcaster. Um, and I think I'm taking it a little bit different direction. So we're going one hour episodic. Um, the pitch deck's done. Uh, just need to get the pilot, you know, cleaned up to go with it. Um, we've had some discussions. Nothing's gone. I'm looking for the right producer or agent who wants to pitch with me. But uh, we know we have an audience. Um, in the month of October on Twitter... Um, when we had a big festival run, our uh, Twitter um, impressions with only 760 people on the page was over 50,000. Wow. Uh, so when things happen, people talk. Yeah. And we know that people are spreading the word and we know that people are interested. Our Facebook uh, social media is a different community. Yeah. Um, I know there's an audience for this because I hear it every time we screen and I see it in the analytics. And... Uh, I would love this to be a limited series because yeah. I think Westerns do better now on episodic than they do as a feature. Yeah. And and I think that uh, it takes the right streaming service to be brave enough to do it. But yeah. I, I think the thing we've learned about women's Westerns is you can't go halfway. You've got to go for it. You've got to go all the way. You've got to really push the envelope and the audience will be there. Because as you know, with Godless on Netflix, everybody's favorite character was Maggie. Mm. For reasons, she pushed the boundaries. Yeah. And I think that's where the audience is. Yeah, okay, so if people wanna want to be part of the success of Last Stand to Nowhere, if they want to see more of the Last Stand universe, what can they do to, to help? They can spread the word, first of all. Yeah. Um, and they can join on our, our social media pages, Last Stand to Nowhere, uh, a female Western on Facebook, Last Stand number two nowhere on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and, and help to spread the word when we screen. And, and if you come to a screening, please tweet. If you really do want to see more, yeah. send that message public. We'll keep a copy of it. I'm keeping a, a list of the quotes from what people have commented on. Oh, and, brilliant. And so it, it helps just to get the word out. And you know what? If you know somebody that loves Western, send them our way too. We just need to continue to slowly build and grow uh, I don't think I don't think something like this grows quickly, mm. and I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, because I I think if you come out and see what we've got to offer, yeah, I think you'll walk out with a grin on your face too. Yeah, well, you are both brave and talented and badass, and I'm was so happy to have you both here today. Okay, so you've said what the uh, the Last Stand to Nowhere social media handles are. We'll include links to all of that in the footnotes for this episode, but uh, Michelle and Julie Lynn, like, is there anywhere else that people can find you on the social media? 
Yes. Well, well, I can give you my handles as well. Yeah, too, absolutely. Um, definitely on Twitter and Instagram, Julie Lynn Mortensen or Julie Lynn underscore JLM. And, and can we also just like, let's like pour one out and respect must be paid to uh, to Lily Van yes. Helsing, the great <laughs> yes. grandmother of Vanessa Van Helsing on Van Helsing. Very different kind of role. Uh, but but another <laughs> super badass. Super female, badass. Like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Respect must be paid to Lillian Lily Van Helsing. Thank you. And that's <laughs> dropping on Netflix, uh, I think, February 8th. Very so that'll soon. be great. And Season I think four. a shout out needs to go out to Andrea Ross. Yes. Because Andrea Ross is our stunt performer in our opening scene. Mm-hmm. She is the stunt performer that worked on uh, Winona Earp. Mm-hmm. So there's a nice little connection there. And mm-hmm. she works with you on Van Helsing as well. Oh. She is incredible oh, to, to co create a character with Andrea, is such a joy. Yeah. And a real. She's such a talent and so generous with training and yeah, I feel like I've learned so much about fighting and camera, you know, all yeah. this fun stuff that I never dreamed that I'd get to do as it an is actor. And I'm so grateful. A wonderful time to be, well, one, to see a lot of the badass roles that the Vancouver women are getting to take on now. And also mm-hmm. for somebody like me who just wants to watch you guys all be badass on screen. So, okay. So, yes. So, I'm sorry. You said Julie Lynn Mortensen. On Instagram, on Instagram and on Twitter, it's Julie Lynn underscore JLM. Oh, yeah, I like that. And uh, and you, you want to stick with the you, you can find the last me on, dance stuff. Yeah, and you can find me as well on Twitter and Instagram under the company mates Paisley Media One and Paisley Media Two. I love that. All right, well, thank you both, and to our listeners, we thank you. Please like and subscribe, and leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger, and it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. We give special thanks to our Patreon ad reader, Mariana Furminger, and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger. It's a lot of Furmingers. We are a family business uh, for technical support. And to Dane, not Furminger, Devole for the original music. YBR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's Fish Flight Entertainment dot com.